Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? Yeah, it's good stuff. Lots of good stuff happening already in this service. Good stuff going on in your lives and at church. Um, I love what Jen just prayed that um, it's good to be family, right? There's times where just even in worship where we were dancing, right? He turns our mourning into dancing. There's an excitement. There was a stillness in God's presence, getting on our knees, uh, just in an adoration. uh, And uh, interesting, right? I love how God brings all these things together that yesterday was a memorial service and this morning was a baby dedication. And so I just, I love how God brings all these things together, this, this fullness of life, right? And I'm just praying that today all of us get to experience fullness of life, uh, that we're not just getting through, just getting by, as I kind of shared at the beginning of service, um, that uh, this Sunday marks about two years from when the pandemic first hit. And uh, we had to change things up on our services and stream and do all those different things. And um, this morning I want to talk to you about transitioning from survival mode to revival mode, um, from survival to revival, or uh, however, I don't have slides for you this morning, I'm going to change things up, I'm going to make you get your fingers dirty in your own Bible, or the pew in front of you, or the app on your phone, however you want to do it, uh, but I'm not going to throw it all up on the screen for you, uh, so I want you to get ready for that, um, but the idea is just, the idea from survival to revival, I think there needs to be a, men- a mentality shift, at least in me, maybe not you, but me. Um, in this 40 days that I called this to about two weeks ago, we, I, we started a, a negativity fast. Hopefully many of you joined me uh, for the next 40 days or so up until Easter. Um, this idea of just fasting negativity. I didn't realize how often things come out of my mouth and things run through my mind that are not what God is thinking or what God is saying. And I need to, I need to watch and guard those things and then speak the opposite. This is what's true. Whatever's true, whatever's right, lovely, noble, good report, my mind is going to dwell on these things, right? And so there's this idea that I feel like these last two years, the church was, I'm just being honest, we were trying to survive. All right, how do we make this work? People can't come to church, so let's try to do things online. Let's try to do this. Let's try to do that. And we were in survival mode of just trying to make things work. And I'm saying, I want to reject survival mode. I'm saying, let's forget that. I, I get there is a sense of we need to make things work, but I want to go to revival. And what am I talking about? What is survival? What is revival? Some of that looking at the root word, right? They both have that same root word. Revival, survival, vival. What does that mean in other languages? Vive, uh, life, right? Vive la France, right? Uh, long live France, right? This idea of just life, right? So survival, if I asked you, what's your surname, would you give me your first name or last name? Last name. So sir, meaning last, or like the last thing you had that had life, you're hanging on to that for dear life. Whatever brought me life in the past, I'm just going to cling to that and hold on to tradition or whatever it is. I'm just going to cling. That's where my life was, and so I've got to hold on to it and protect it. Whereas revival says, well, God's going to do it again. I can let go of that because I'm going to have new life. Right? God makes all things new. He takes the old things and he makes it life. Right? Uh, he talks about making a new heaven and a new earth. There's things that I love about this planet. I love exploring and seeing, um, right, going to the Grand Canyon. I love uh, seeing sunsets. And I just see the beauty of God and his handiwork all over creation. But it says that God is going to create a new earth. And everything that he does, when he remakes it, it's actually better than the previous. All throughout scripture, that's who he is. That's what he does. He makes all things new. And when he says, I make all things new, it's actually better than before. So he's come to give us life, and then we might have it more abundantly. Right? So we're all alive. We all have a beat, a heart that's beating. We're all somewhat alive. But he's come to give us revival. Right? The idea of again, but better than before. And so I think about revival, I think of going back to the early 
days of the church, going back to Acts, right? The church was alive, right? The Spirit of God fell, right, the day of Pentecost, and it exploded on that one day. 3,000 people came to the Lord, and then from then on, just kept multiplying. And it says that, it says in Acts, I love it, it says they turned the world upside down. This tiny little church, these ragtag 12 disciples, right, turned the world upside down. It wasn't by their own strength. It wasn't by their own intellect. It was by the Spirit of God that was giving them life. And I'm saying, I want to go back to that. That's revival. But actually, I wanted to go back to that and do it all the better than the, than, the, than the original. I'm saying that in the last days, I'm quoting Peter, right? In the last days, he's going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Peter said, that's here and now. Joel was prophesying right now as Peter was declaring that 2,000 years ago. Well, I'm going to say it again this morning. In the last days that we're living in, he's going to pour out his spirit, and it's going to be even better than Pentecost. So there's something about this revive. Yes, do it again. Re means again. Do it again, God, but even do it better than the first time. And so that's why I, I want this mentality that I'm not holding on to even the first love, right? That's not a wrong thing. Jesus talks about in Revelations. You've lost your first love. Go back to the beginning. It's good to remember the things that God has done in our lives. I remember, um, I can remember times where I was growing up in a youth group where I got filled with the Spirit for the first time. And I can remember really owning my relationship with Jesus and having quiet times with the Lord all by myself in my bedroom. And man, I, there was something where I just was passionate, just weeping in God's presence and just time going by. I didn't realize it was three hours. And I was like, oh my gosh, it felt like 15 minutes as this teenager just enjoying God's presence. I, I go, and I, I fondly remember those things. And I don't want to forget those necessarily, but I don't want to say I want to live back in the old glory days, right? It's always funny. I, uh, sorry, my mind always thinks of movies when I don't quite often is Napoleon Dynamite. Anyone remember the uncle? What's his name? Uncle that always has the football and is always trying to remember his glory days, right? Um, it doesn't look good. It's not attractive to try to react your old glory days, right? God wants you to say, let go of those things and let's do a new thing. And so I just want to talk to you about this idea of revival, that I'm going to reject a survive. I'm rejecting negativity. I also want to reject this mentality that I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through a day. Um, sorry, I'm setting this all up. I, I know I want to go, but there's things I want to kind of set the stage. Um, I know I'm not alone. Some of you in this room, you've had a day where we even call it, it's been a day, right? The day was just full of stuff. And you had to take care of a lot of things. At the end of the day, you're exhausted. You're like, wow, what a day. And, that's, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But in a sense, I'm just saying, I think that way sometimes. Oh, I survived today. Huh. But if I think about it, there's other days where I got a lot done. I had a checklist, and I got all those things checked. And I even got more, th- like, like chores around the house or whatever it is. Like, I, I just was getting things done. And at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I feel so alive. Because I accomplished all these things. Has anyone felt both of those types of days? Right? I don't want to just keep living life where I just, whew, what a day. I just survived. I'm saying, no, actually, I can get a lot of things done. At the end of the day, I feel fully alive because I got a lot done. And sometimes it's not the things in the day that make me exhausted. It's my mentality. It's the words coming out of my mouth. It's, it's how I view things. Am I doing things for God or am I doing things with God. I, I can be a pastor and I can come to church and I can be studying God's word and I can be meeting with people and doing all these glorious things for God. And at the end of the day, I'm exhausted because I didn't do them with him. 
I want to do them with him. When I'm doing things with him, he supplies the strength. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It's life-giving. And so I've got to change some of these things. Um, on the flip side, I'm talking about a day where it's been a day, where it's been long, and there's lots that happened that day. Who here's had a day where, like, it was uneventful, and maybe you spent a couple hours or way too long on social media scrolling, and it comes to the end of the day, you're like, what did I accomplish today? And then you feel drained because you didn't actually do anything today. Like, the day was wasted away, and then you're frustrated because you didn't do anything that day. Has anyone ever felt that way? Right? And then there's days where you pay lots of money to go somewhere else and do nothing, and you actually feel refreshed. We call them vacations, right? So it's amazing how it's all about perspective. There's days where I do nothing. I'm like, oh, I feel like I wasted the day. And there's days where I do nothing. And I'm like, oh, that felt great, right? It's this idea of survival mode or revival. And I just want to start thinking, no, I'm bringing life. I'm, sometimes we get caught up in revival and we think it just means like the day of Pentecost. I'm saying, actually, no, it's just life. Like last Sunday, we were talking about just arising and shining. That in darkness, I can live alive. I don't have to be succumbed to circumstances, right? I I keep saying it all the time. Faith doesn't deny the reality of difficulty. You are guaranteed problems and difficulties in your life. I'm not saying that if we just get the right mentality, you'll never have a problem in life. That's not true. Jesus says, in this life, you will have troubles. If the world hated me, it's going to hate you, right? He promises difficulties, but he promises to give us life. Then we might have it more abundantly. So I want to look at three men in the Bible, all in the Old Testament. And um, we're going to look at some differences. All three of these men experienced or witnessed revival, but their experiences were very different. Revival took place, but it just looked different in these three men's life. And so the first one we're going to look at is the story of Jonah. So if you can turn to Jonah, that's, that's a hard one to find sometimes. Um, in fact, I got it marked in my Bible to make it easier for myself, I think, hopefully. So Jonah's on the other side of, um, so I always think of Psalms, Proverbs, right? And it's on the New Testament side of Psalms and Proverbs. But I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but I just, hopefully you grow up and you know some of Jonah, right? He got swallowed by a fish, right? That's what, that's what we know of Jonah. But in, in chapter 1, Verse 1 is just kind of setting the scene, the context. We'll read the first three verses. Um, so Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. This is, this is a man, I'll, I'll kind of give you the heading. I put here for Jonah, he preferred survival over revival. Or if I was trying to have nice points for you to write things down, I like alliteration. It makes it easier for me to remember sometimes. So savoring survival and rejecting revival. Savoring survival, rejecting revival. That's not how I want to live. But this is how Jonah experienced this. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. We'll just stop there. I love that in this New King James, it says, Arise. That was... A verse we read from Isaiah chapter 60 last week. Arise and shine. And then it says, he arose and went the opposite direction. Right? That was Jonah. God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and says, I want to bring revival to a wicked people. And Jonah says, wait a second. 
Did you think this through, God? Like, we live in the land of Israel, and the Ninevites, they hate us and want to kill us and murder us and eliminate us. So you want to bless our enemies? That means it's going to be bad for us. So he's thinking survival mode. I don't want to go well with them. I want everything to be bad for them, right? And so he doesn't want revival. And so you know the story, right? He gets on the boat going the opposite direction. Big storm comes. We won't read the whole, the whole book of Jonah. You should read the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters really quick. Um, but gets swallowed by a whale, right? In the belly of a fish for three days. Jesus even said that was a prophetic act, that he was going to be in the pit for three days and then come back to life. Um, so we know the story. He gets spit out on the shore. He goes to Nineveh. And he tells them, in 40 days, you guys are all dead men, right? And he's happy to say, you're all going to die in 40 days. You're all going to die, right? And then what happens? They repent. The entire city, the king, the mayor, whoever's in charge, decrees a fast. And it says not just the people, but even the animals had to fast. Like, everybody's repenting. Everyone's putting sackcloth on. Everyone's doing this. And it said, it really is the greatest revival ever recorded in human history. The most wicked city to be alive becomes on fire for God. Think about that today, right? In today's terms. Who are people that want to wipe out Israel, right? We call them wicked, right? All these jihadist nations, right? You just fill in the blanks. If we were, we're praying for, you know, against Russia and Ukraine. Do we actually believe, are we just trying to survive, right? We're thinking World War III might happen. Okay, I'll, I'll pause really quick. Side tangent, I'll go there quick and come back. Um, I shared in our This Is Us class um, that I've flip-flopped in my, I don't know, doctrine or theology of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, of when Jesus is going to return and when are we going to get, you know, uh, taken up before all the tribulation. And um, I'm currently a pre-trib, but if you want to argue, I have tons of verses to argue post-trib. So I'm good to go. Um, I I like what our founding pastor said. He was kind of pan-trib. He's like, I don't know, we're all going to get, at some point, it'll all pan out, right? Um, I kind of like that position, maybe. But what I like about pre-trib is it rejects the mentality that I'm just, I just need to survive. The church just needs to, until Jesus takes me home, I just need to survive. And I'm saying, no. I'm saying Jesus is coming back for a beautiful, radiant bride. And so on my thought process is I'm going to see revival before Jesus comes. The world is not going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus returns. No, I am believing the church is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and there's going to be a billion soul harvest. You say, I hear me say that all the time because I am believing for this great resurrection of the church that's even better than Acts and that we are going to be bringing revival into things. And so that's why I just, sorry, it's a little tangent. That's why I'm a little bit more pre-trib. Again, I'm kind of pan-trib, but pre-trib because I'm believing I'm rejecting anything that has to do with survival mode. If post-trib makes me think survival mode, then I'm rejecting it. I don't want it. Um, all right, so I said side tangent. Coming back. So Jonah, he's in the survival mode, doesn't want it to go well with his enemies. Preaches 40 days. They repent. This great, it really is the greatest revival in human history. And what does Jonah do? He's angry. He's upset. And so Jonah chapter 4, he read the first few verses of chapter 1. Now the first few verses of chapter 4, verse 1, says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. 
For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is far better for me to die than to live. He's upset because revival is happening. It's happening to people he doesn't like. It's happening in a way he doesn't want. And now if you keep reading the end of chapter 4, it says that he leaves the city and he, he builds this little shelter and he wants to witness. I view it, this is my personal take, I think he was praying that God would relent from his merciful kindness ways and still in 40 days send hellfire and brimstone like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, I remember you did that before God, do it again. And so he wants to witness the hellfire and brimstone coming on Nineveh. And so he's got this little shelter he's living in on the outskirts of the town. And it gets hot, right? You know the story? This little plant grows supernaturally within a day, and it gives him shade. He's like, oh, thank you, God, for my shade and comforting me. You're so good. And then overnight, a worm comes and eats the plant, right? And then it withers away. And now he's mad and angry again, right? He's complaining about his own comfort. And he cares about his own comforts and selfish needs over an entire city. That is so indicative sometimes of me and the church. We care more about our comfort than we do about revival. I'm just being honest with you. I don't mean to stir up things, but even this last two years of trying to figure out how to do church and all these things, I spent more time trying to figure out how to bring comfort back to our church family here, and which is good. I'm called to as a pastor, as a shepherd, to comfort you, to bring all those things. But we spent more time about figuring out our own comforts that we did about praying for revival in the nations. And I'm saying, God, forgive me. I don't want to be a Jonah. I don't want to be so thinking about myself that I forget to pray for the lost. I got to read this because I'll say it wrong. I'm going to ask you a question. And the answer right away is yes. So think about it. Hold on. (laughs) Is it always a sin to be praying for personal comforts? (laughs) Is it always, no matter what, if you ever prayed for a personal comfort, it was a sin? I'll say no. Because I've seen God show up in ways that, like, that was not a need at all. It was this small little desire that didn't even matter, and God brought that. And I was like, God, how come you, like, this tiny little thing that doesn't, is so insignificant, you brought that in a miraculous way, and these things I really need you in? Like, where are you? Right? So it's not always a sin to pray for personal comfort. But is it a sin to always and continually be praying for personal comforts? Yes. Is it a sin to always be praying about yourself? Yes. And I think the Lord is saying this. He's highlighting this from Jonah. He just wanted to survive. All he cared about was himself. When things were going well, oh. When things weren't going well, oh, I hate life. Just kill me now. Right? It was so self-absorbed. And I'm saying, I think the Lord is wanting to say... As we are post-pandemic, as I said, two years, he's trying to get this mentality off the church, especially me, Osborne. Stop worrying about your comforts. Stop worrying about having comfy pews, all being together. Stop worrying about all these things. And let's get into revival mode. Let's start caring about God actually bringing a billion soul harvest. Let's actually be busy about these things, right? All right, so the next one, that was Jonah. I definitely don't want to be a Jonah. The next one is a step up. I think most of us in this room would say successful man, did it right, 
and we praise him and we want to be like him in lots of ways. And there are truth, there's truth to that. So the next one is Job. So you can turn to Job if you want. I'm not going to read a lot of uh, specific verses, but I'll reference things. Job is that book right before Psalms. Um, so in Job, if you don't know the story really quick, um, I'll recap. Job chapter 1, you can read it. A whole bunch of bad things happened to Job. But let me just tell you really quick, highlighting them. Sabians, these other foreigners, they come and they steal his oxen and donkey. Donkeys. All, he was a rich man. Job was a very wealthy man. Everything going for him, everything going his way. Um, and so these outsiders come and steal all of his oxen and his donkeys. And one servant is left alive. The other some are killed. Runs to tell him, this is what just happened. And as he's finishing talking, the next servant comes from a different field and says this. Fire fell from heaven and burned up all your sheep. And as that servant was talking, finishing talking, another servant came in saying, the Chaldeans came and stole all your camels and killed every one of last of your servants. You have no more servants except for these three servants standing in front of you. So all your servants dead, all your animals, oxen, camels, sheep, donkeys, gone. While they're talking, one last servant comes in and says, the house that your children were all at together at one time, a mighty wind came in and the house crumbled and killed them all. About everything that could go wrong, goes wrong. And then we know, to me, I know, if you grew up in the church, you know these famous lines. Job falls on his knees, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. Falls on his knees, raises his hands and says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? We want to be like Job. I want to do that. But in Job chapter 2, Satan comes again. And it says that he afflicted him in chapter 2 with painful boils, I don't even know what all that is, but some disease from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. His entire body covered in pus. Gross, right? But it's painful. He's in physical excruciating pain. Now he's in emotional pain, physical pain. Says he's sitting in ashes, taking uh, broken pieces of pottery, trying to cut open the pus, uh, relieve himself. And so finally his wife comes in. Oh, his loving wife comes onto the scene. And she comes to say, I don't like you. I'm out of here. I'm getting a divorce. You know what? Before I leave, why don't you just curse God and die? (laughs) This guy, right? Everything that could go wrong is going wrong in this guy's life. But then, you think it's okay, that's as bad as it can get. Then three friends show up. And for the next 30 chapters, they eloquently give him some wise counsel and tell him, Job, you deserve all these bad things that are happening to you. (laughs) He's like, I didn't, do, I didn't do anything. And his three friends are telling him, well, obviously you did. You deserve all these bad things. What kind of comfort is that, right? This poor guy, he has every right. And I think this is how I've read Job. Like, he gets to, David gets to complain in the Psalms, so Job gets to complain in the book of Job. He defends himself, and he begins to curse the day he was born. He begins to say, God's not fair, He begins to say all these things. He doesn't say God doesn't exist, but he begins to complain. And to me, it's justified, right? But at the end, God shows up, right? And he says, I've quoted this several times the last couple months, gird yourself like a man, Job. He doesn't come in nice and gentle to comfort Job. No, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you know what I know? You're You're blaming me for things that I didn't do. And he just, he blasts Job. Blasts him. All this suffering, and he gets blasted. But I love this. If you earn Job, I know I didn't read Job chapter 1, verse 2. I didn't read verses in there. Just kind of highlight those. But if you turn towards the end, Job chapter 42, 
in verse 10, Job 42.10. This is Job going through suffering. And I, this is my title for Job. He's struggling with survival until revival. Struggling in survival and requesting revival. Looking for those alliterations, right? Struggling in survival and requesting revival. This is better than Jonah. Jonah didn't even want revival. Job wants it, but he's just struggling through survival. Struggling through the suffering. And he wants revival, but it's not in the midst of what he's doing. And so finally, this is where we see it. Job chapter 42, verse 10, we see revival hit. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Skipping to verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. It was clearly revival. Not just bringing life back, but even double, better than it was before. But I love that it's connected when Job prayed for his friends. The ones that were kicking him when he was down. The ones that were being rude to him. When he prayed for them, God, would you bless them? I forgive them. That when he repented and wanted revival for his friends before even he got it. That's when God brought revival to Job. But there's this idea that I think too much of us in the church, we think that this is a healthy way to do things. Like Job, we just struggle through. We're just suffering saints. And we just struggle through life. And one day Jesus will take us home to glory. But I want to reject that way of living. So many of us, we just think revival is in God's hands. Job said, well, he's an unjust God, and so maybe unfairly he brought this. Unfairly he'll bring revival. And so for me, maybe I'm projecting too much. I project on Job like I project on many of us in the church. Well, if God wants revival, yeah, God, we want it too. Just do it whenever you want to do it. But we're waiting. We're struggling in the survival until God brings the revival. And I want to look at a third person in the Old Testament, looking at Joseph. And that's in Genesis chapter 39. The story of Joseph, if you don't know the story of Joseph, again, we'll go through that one really quick. But right, he was God's favorite. Anyone else in here God's favorite? That's me, I'm God's favorite. He was his dad's favorite, and his brothers despised him for it. Right? He was that dreamer that dreamed of revival all the time, that just wanted to have all the good, just he brought the goodness. He was, in some ways, right, sometimes I know you can be around somebody who's always so cheerful, and when you're not cheerful, it can almost be annoying, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm one of those guys sometimes, and I want to be. That was Joseph, right? He was always happy, and always like, and when other people are having a bet, well, they're having the day, right? Today has been a day, and someone else is just loving life, you're like, oh, Good for you, right? So I'm not saying to smear it in somebody else's face. That's not what I want. But I want to radiate the goodness of God like Joseph. Where Joseph, if you read the story of Joseph, life didn't go easy for him either. His brothers were ready to kill him, threw him in a pit. Instead of killing him, Judah stands up for him and says, why don't we sell him into slavery instead, right? So they sell him into slavery was it Judah or was it Reuben? Someone at Bible trivia. Who was it? Was it Reuben? I don't know. I got to look it up now. Uh, it's close to Genesis 39. I know that's where the story of Joseph is. Um, anyways, sorry, my brain, Sunday school trivia, my brain goes there often. Um, he gets sold into slavery, right? Goes into Potiphar's house. 
Reuben, thank you. See, I corrected myself. Um, goes into Potiphar's house, right? What happens there? He's a slave. He's suffering. He should say, God, release me from slavery. God, if you can do it, just take, me, take the chains off of me and let me be free again. But instead of waiting for God to make revival happen, what did Joseph do? In the midst of being a slave, he says, all right, I'm a slave. I'm the lowest of the low. I'm, I'm not only a slave in this country, I'm a foreigner. So he's like the lowest one on the totem pole. He says, all right, how do I make the slaves, how to make the lives of those around me? The other slaves that are one step above me, how to make their life easier? What if I do my job and their job for them? And they, they get, it's easier for them. All right, how do I make my owner's life better? What can I do for him? And he starts thinking with wisdom. Man, my owner has all these resources. I wonder if I start steward. if I work double time, if I don't just work 10 hours a day, what if I don't sleep tonight and I work on this too and I bless my owner, right? He's bringing revival into a horrible situation and the favor of God keeps falling on him. It's amazing. Sorry, another little side tangent. It's amazing as I read scripture, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's highlighted that the, to whom much is given, even more will be given. It's like, wait a second. What about the person that has very little? Shouldn't they get more? And God's like, no, the way the kingdom works is if you have favor, you're going to get more favor. You have no favor? Yeah, you're not going to get any favor. God. It's because Joseph kept stewarding favor. Whatever favor he had, he used it. And God's like, well, I got to pour more favor onto that. And then he stewarded that. Well, I got to keep pouring more favor onto that. It's one of those things where when we're in survival mode, we get unhealthily jealous of other people. How come they get nice things? Well, life's not fair. That's a survival mode thinking. Life's not fair. How come everything bad always happens to me and everything good happens to somebody else? That's survival mode thinking. That's un- you need to go on a negativity fast. A revival mode is that same idea. When I'm not... When I say I'm God's favorite, it's not because I'm saying nobody else is God's favorite. It's because I, have, I keep choosing over and over again to say, oh, man, my life is the best. Nobody's got a better. As I train myself to think that way, it becomes that way. <laughs> I heard a pastor say this before, and it just came to my mind again. Those who say they can and those who say they can't are both right. Look at the story. Is it Numbers 13? It's the story of the Israelites about to go into the promised land. They're recounting it, and there's 10 spies that say, we can't. And they were right. They got to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years and die not going to the promised land. Joseph and, uh, not Joseph, uh, Joshua and Caleb, we can. And they were right. And they did. And they got to go into the promised land. It's amazing how what words come out of our mouth and what we think actually dictates the world we live in, right? Your words create worlds. We talked about that. So Joseph, he's got the favor of the Lord and he keeps gaining more favor. But I love it. He's in Potiphar's house and he brings revival to a household. It was already a prosperous house. He was an official. He was an officer in Pharaoh's army. Things were going well. But he made his household even prosper all the more. And then suffering happens, right? He gets accused of something he didn't do. Gets thrown into jail. Oh, okay, now he can just mope and, and complain, right? He's in jail for years. And what happens to the jail? The, the jailer says, man, we didn't have to go to work. Joseph takes care of everything in the jail. <laughs> and the people that are in jail with him, they have dreams and he interprets their dreams. Like He's bringing revival into a dungeon. 
And eventually God keeps saying, man, no matter where I put this guy, in slavery, he brings revival. Into, into a prison, he brings revival. You know what? Let's put him in charge of a kingdom. And he brings revival to an entire kingdom. This is the way I want to live life. I don't want to be a survivalist. I want to be a revivalist. Right? We, I don't know if it's still popular or not because I don't watch a lot of TV, but I know for a while there was those survivalists, right? The uh, man in the wild, I don't even know the names of those TV shows, right? You throw them in the middle of a hard, difficult place and can they survive, right? And somehow this human nature, we like to watch people survive, right? Can they survive this? I'm saying I don't have an appetite for survival anymore. I have this appetite for revival. I want to live fully alive. Really quick. So Joseph, he brings revival to an entire nation. Okay, I'll read this. This is really important. We've got to read this. So jo- uh, uh, what is it? Genesis. I didn't read all this. Eh, we'll skip it. Uh, we'll go to the one I want to get to. Genesis tr- chapter 41. Chapter 41, verse 1. Genesis 41, verse 1. It says this. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. No, I didn't put it all in here. Let me find it actually. Okay, came to pass after these things that, oh no, sorry, hold on, hold on. Oh, I'm in 40, that's why, 41.1, there we go. Then it came to pass at the end of the two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river, right? So Pharaoh has this dream. Then skip to me to verse 38. So this is, chapter 41 is all about Pharaoh's dream. Joseph interprets it, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this man? in whom is the Spirit of God. That's New King James, New Living Translation, says this. As they discussed who should be appointed for the job, Pharaoh said, Who could do it better than Joseph? For he is a man who is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Pharaoh, a non-Christian, a non-Jew, who doesn't know Yahweh, recognized this man is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. That is what it means to be a revivalist. Joseph was not just trying to survive everywhere he went. He was bringing revival everywhere he went. And it was obvious. The Spirit of God was obviously in him and on him and coming out of him. And Pharaoh said, there's no one else in the kingdom that could do a better job than this guy. Because he's got life in him. The Spirit of life is in him. And we need that. If there's going to be a a famine for seven years, we need someone who brings life to carry us through a season of famine. You are meant to be obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Not, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. I get that. I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit seals my salvation. I have confidence that I'm going to heaven one day. Confident of that. Praise God for that. I don't want the Holy Spirit that to be his only job in my life. I want him to continually fill me. I I gave the testimony that when I was in youth group here at this church, I got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Spoke in tongues. My hands were trembling like I was under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, my mind, I can remember at that young age, I'm ready to be a mission. I'm ready to convert the entire world, right? Like I'm ready to change history. Like this young 13-year-old boy, right? I was ready to make my mark on the world. And it's amazing how life can happen and it can suck things away from you. So I don't want to be one time filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be refilled. What happened when I was 13? That was great. I want it again today, God. I want to live alive, revival every single day. Revive me, God. I want it to be obvious that your spirit is in me and on me. Hmm. So 
That was uh, Genesis chapter 42, right? Sorry, I'm trying to find my notes where I'm at. 41? All right. Let me find it in my Bible because I don't have my notes very good. There it is. Okay. So we read 41 verse 38. That's what we read already, right? So now look at verse 51. Same chapter. 41, 51. Oh, no, go back to 50. Verse 50. Here we go. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, from whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharai, priest of On, bore to him. Don't know, I killed all those, I'm sure. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has called me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I love the names he gives his two sons. Manasseh means to forget, and actually there's a Hebrew word. My, I just read toil, but let me read to you the actual real word in Hebrew. is amal, and it means this, sorrow, toil, grief, pain, trouble, misery, fatigue, exhaustion. He names his son, I have forgotten, and he will live his whole life having forgotten the pain, the exhaustion, the toil, all those things. He will not live with those in view. This is how Joseph lived. Yes, I am in difficulty. Yes, I'm in a jail cell. Yes, things are going horribly. My, my brothers tried to kill me, right? But he forgot all those painful things and says, I'm going to live fully alive and bless the Lord in this situation. He named his son, I'm going to bear fruit, right, in my affliction. Manasseh, right, Ephraim. Ephraim means to bear fruit in affliction or double fruit. I'm not just going to survive and stay alive. I'm actually going to bear fruit in my affliction. I'm going to have a double portion. When everyone else is just kind of getting through life, man, I'm going to produce fruit. I feel like I preach the same message so often. What Paul says, consider it all joy, my brothers. You're his brothers and sisters. When you encounter various trials and difficulties, right? Knowing what? That it produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope and hope that doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So you actually can look, Paul, he's not demented. He says, I actually look forward to difficulty. Afflictions, bring them on. He said, because I'm going to produce fruit in afflictions. I'm actually going to shine brighter when it's dark. When everything's going my way and I have full of comfort, ah, I don't want that. I want the difficulties. This idea of forgetting, I just was reminded right now, that's the one thing Paul says that he attained, right? Paul says, man, I'm not perfect. There's a lot that still needs to happen in my life, but one thing I've attained, one thing I've got down, Forgetting the past. He's quoting Manasseh. I forget all the pain and ugliness of my past and I press forward towards the high calling in Christ Jesus. God has called me into this place of suffering right here and it's got a high calling. And I'm not going to dumb down the situation just to suffer as a saint. Well, I just got to get through life and God will be glorified if I just get through this. No, God will be glorified as I look towards the high calling in Christ Jesus as I bring life to this situation. Hmm. Jonah witnessed revival while struggling for his own survival. 
Job experienced revival after struggling through a season of survival. But Joseph brought revival into every survival story. Some of you have survival stories. They're legit. Like Job, you have a reason to be exhausted. And everyone would think that's normal for you to be exhausted. And it's not, I I would love to say it's not wrong, it's not a sin. But I feel compelled by the Lord to say, no, it's not okay today. There needs to be an awakening. There needs to be a shifting of our mindsets. I felt this morning, I know i got to wrap up this message. I felt this morning that God wants to bring salvation. Yes, salvation for someone's name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But you know, I say this all the time. I don't care just about your ticket to heaven. That's not my calling as a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. That is not my number one calling. I mean, hopefully I brought some people to the Lord yesterday. I said the sinner's prayer at the memorial. Some people looked at me. They gave their lives to Christ. Praise God for that. But my gifting, my anointing is not as evangelist. My gift and my anointing is for you to enjoy life. For you to live life to its fullest. For me, wow, I don't know why I'm getting emotional even saying this. Because I don't want to be a Joseph amongst my brothers and sisters that just keeps saying, look at me, look at me, my life is great. And it causes bitterness in you. I don't want to be that kind of Joseph. But I want to be a Joseph that goes through suffering with you and I just keep proclaiming there's hope. You can have joy in the midst of the suffering. We don't have to wallow in this. We actually can have life. And I want to break that off, even in my own mentality, that sometimes I view myself as that younger Joseph. God wants to do this to me this morning. He wants to do this to you. He wants to change some mindsets here today. He wants to transform us by the renewing of our minds this morning. He wants to give you the mind of Christ. I know I've been rattling off all kinds of things, but I pray the Holy Spirit is touching some of you beyond just me right now. Something needs to change. There's a survival story in your life that he's saying you've got to shift the way you think. Stop trying to survive. You've got to live revival. And you're saying, yeah, pastor, but I've been doing this for a long time. I don't have the strength. And God is saying, yeah, let the weak say I am strong. Start changing the narrative. Don't wait for me to change the circumstance. God is saying, stop waiting for me to change the circumstance. Stop being a Job. Maybe you're not a Jonah and you reject revival, but you're a a Job. And you're living in this survival. You're like, oh, exhausted. And you feel like it's been a life. I mean, read the story of Job. It's 40 some odd chapters. More than three-fourths of the whole story of Job is Job complaining. And God is saying, I don't want that to be your life. That finally the end of your life, you finally, once you retire, once this, you know, once all these things get fixed, Oh, then you'll enjoy life? He's saying, no, there will never be a time when I just bring revival. Even Job had to pray for his enemies before revival came. There was something still he was responsible for. You are responsible for your own revival. Doesn't sound very encouraging, but I promise you it's the word of the Lord. It's the truth that sets you free. Your revival will not come because God is so gracious and kind to you. 
Your revival will come because you get a backbone and say, I'm rejecting what I've been thinking my whole life. Hmm. So I have some phrases. I got them in here somewhere that I think we're supposed to repeat. You've heard the phrase, I know I'm going over, but I got to say this. You've heard the saying, survival of the fittest. You've heard that before? I'm not fit for survival. I was not made to survive. I am not fit. I am not wired in my DNA, in my spirit, man, the way that God created Ryan. I am not fit for survival. When I live a life, and at the end of the, when I live a day, at the end of the day, I'm like, ugh, that was a day. I, I can feel it all inside of me. That is not how I was meant to live. I am not fit for, for survival. I am fit for revival. So I'm going to say some of these things and you repeat after me. I am not fit for survival. I am fit for revival. In my trial, my goal is not to survive. My goal is to revive. I am not a survivor. I am a reviver. I am not a suffering saint. I'm a rejoicing revivalist. As the worship team comes on up, I'm just trying to figure out how to land this. I'm good to sing a rejoicing song, right? We sang some good ones, right, this morning? But I don't want it to be just a song we sing. I do feel like today is a salvation day. And I feel like the Holy Spirit, as I said, I, I felt convicted of that whole Joseph thing. I view myself so many times. I, I try to be careful. I know I say it a lot. I'm God's favorite. But then I try to, I'm done trying to be careful to offend anybody. I love my life. And I want you to love your life. And I'm not afraid to be that bubbly Christian that is annoying. Call me annoying if you want. I'll be annoying. If one person gets the joy of the Lord that I have, then man, it's worth it. But some of you today, you've got a survival story that it's hard. And even in this moment, you declared those things, but you still aren't feeling it. You might not feel it, but you're hearing the truth. You're speaking it. You're going to leave here different, but I would love to pray over you. All right. Maybe in this, I'm not trying to get this to all stand, but you probably all stand. Who here stand if you want to be a rejoicing revivalist? Stand if you want to be a rejoicing revivalist. But if you want prayer, you want to be obviously filled with the Holy Spirit today. You want to be a Joseph. You want to transition to actually living that way. Not just saying it, but living that way. And you feel the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you personally. Like, I know the Holy Spirit is in the room. I can feel him in the room. But you know who you are if he's really tugging on your heart and you need to respond. There's a response that we're doing corporately, but you need a personal response. I'm just inviting you to come up and get prayer. We're going to sing this last song, and you need to respond. There has to be action. It's on you. It's not waiting for God to bring the revival. You've got to bring revival into your survival story. So I'm going to say a quick prayer. As soon as I say amen, if you want prayer, get up here.
God, I thank you that today is a day of life. We choose life. We believe you are bringing revival. We see the first fruits, God. I believe today is another season of first fruits. But you're bringing a full harvest. And I want to be a minister of that, God. I don't want to just wait that I get to be a part of receiving the full harvest. I want to be the laborers in the vineyard. I want this entire church, I want all of us to be laborers bringing in a great harvest. So God, would today be a marked day of the first fruits, knowing that the latter fruits are coming. We thank you for the word today, God. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.